enter the Ebony Tower podcast, a resource, conversation, and community for and by brilliant yet underrecognized and underrepresented scholars of color. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Ebony Tower and our first installment of Tales from the Tower. Tales from the Tower is a special segment of our show where individuals are able to share their personal stories of struggle and triumph in navigating the ivory tower. As we mentioned in our last episode, we can't realistically ask you to share details of your life and your journey, spill your tea if we aren't willing to do the same. So today I'll be sharing my story of leaving my prior PhD program after investing three whole years. And I'm going to be sharing my story about awkward dissertation committee encounters on the process to defending a dissertation proposal. Hmm, that sounds interesting. So I guess let's get started. Uh, Rachel, do you want to begin by telling me your tale? Yeah, yeah, I will start off today. Um, So if you've listened to our previous episode, you know that I'm an anthropologist. um, And so fieldwork is often long-term. For me, I had planned to do a year of fieldwork in Brazil. And so a year um, prior to or while I was working on my dissertation proposal, I was also working on grant proposals to uh, find funding for my fieldwork. And so I applied to a number of agencies and I actually received a Fulbright grant to do my fieldwork. So I was like so excited. And um, I had gotten my approval letter from Fulbright, let's say in March. Um, and I was supposed to defend my dissertation proposal to my committee by May. And then in June, I was scheduled, bought my ticket and everything to go to Brazil and stay there for a year to do my field work. Um, so the months progressing to my dissertation proposal defense um, at my university, we would do a defense. So you would come in with a proposal that your three committee members have had read and they would ask you questions and then they would okay your uh your basically passing of that that proposal step and also moving on to the fieldwork step. Um, and so the months leading up, I had sent my draft of my dissertation proposal with my research uh, design and plan, all of it. And um, my two non-advisor committee members were like, yeah, this looks great. This looks great. Make these changes, but you're otherwise looking good. My advisor had been getting ready to uh, retire. And so for the most part, she is a person who has a lot of opinions about my work, but she didn't really get back to me. And she said, you know, like, oh, it looks fine. It looks fine. So I show up feeling good. I got this Fulbright grant. I'm getting ready to go to Brazil. All I got to do is jump this last hurdle. I go into my defense and, you know, my other committee members ask me the regular questions. I'm answering them. And then all of a sudden my advisor starts going in on my proposal. Like, well, why did you decide to do this? And why are you doing that? And I don't think this is a strong, compelling argument. And I don't think that that's the right methodology to use. And it's like an hour long of her just going in. And so 
I am like just keeping my strong face the whole way through. So the last comment my advisor makes before uh, ending my proposal is saying, well, Rachel, I feel like you are completely unprepared and I would never okay this proposal, but since you have a Fulbright grant, I guess I'm going to pass you, but don't think that I'm happy about this proposal. And I just felt so bamboozled. It's like for months I hadn't gotten feedback and I just wasn't prepared for this. Clearly Fulbright believed in this proposal. Other people had um, supported me and told me like, yeah, this is great. Um, and so I just sort of ate it in the moment and I thanked everyone and I got the paper that I had to have signed to say basically I passed. And then I went into the closest bathroom and I bawled my eyes out. (laughs) I cried hard, like snot, ugly cry. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So that is my tale from the tower today. (laughs) Okay. That's sucks oh my god and it just it just I feel like that tale just kind of illustrates just how important like the advising relationship is and how it can either build you up and make you feel supported and make you feel like you you got this or it can make you feel like damn, like, do I, like, do I belong here? Like, what's, what's going on or wrong with me? Like, wow. Yeah. You know, I was happy about having the experience, however, because it prepared me for similar, um, situation for my actual dissertation defense and writing process. So it kind of gave me a, like a foreshadowing of what was to come. Well, I can't say, I think that's like one of the most important things I think people can take is when these bad things happen, what lesson can you take from it? I feel like academia is a lot like hazing, you know, or pledging, you know, a fraternity or sorority where... I totally agree. You're proving your worth and, you know, they're going to break you down, I guess, to try to build you back up and you're going to have to try to figure out some what lesson they are trying to teach in the midst of all of that, but... mm. Yes, I think you're right. And yeah, many, many lessons have I learned and Possibly in a future episode, we can talk about the imposter syndrome I now feel because of these types of lessons I've learned. Um, But let's shift and I want to hear all about your tale today. I'm like so excited to hear about this. Okay. So my tale is really interesting because I feel like it starts before I actually got into my graduate program. I was in my third year of teaching uh, elementary school in Atlanta, Georgia, when I decided that I was going to apply to graduate school. My original plan was to teach for five years, but I was taking graduate level coursework to earn my teacher certification at Georgia State. And I had become interested in taking more classes in sociology and psychology while pursuing that graduate level certificate. And, you know, at the time, our mutual friend who's already earned her PhD, she was applying to PhD programs. And I had decided, that, oh, maybe I'll apply to master's programs to make me more competitive for PhD programs. And so I had applied for a master's program at Georgia State, but 
something, and this is really weird, something led me to look at the website of a program in Indiana. It was a sociology program, and they had uh, on their website that um, you could earn a master's degree. And when I reached out to them, they were like, oh no, that's a mistake on the website. Uh, we only offer, you know, PhDs, you know, somebody just forgot to take that off. And this was after the deadline that I reached out to them, but for their master's deadline, it said like you could apply in February. So it was after the PhD deadline, but before that master's deadline that they had posted. And so, you know, because it was their mistake, you know, after they found out like my test scores and things of that nature, they, they let me go ahead and apply. So I went from applying to a master's program, which I thought was going to prepare me for PhD studies to applying for a PhD program. And it was the only one I applied to. And I got in and I uprooted my life from Atlanta to, you know, a town in Indiana. Wow. Yeah. So it was kind of like, I appreciated that opportunity and I received so much support from that program. And I felt like I really grew as a student, but I also realized there was only one faculty member who studied education. And so I didn't necessarily have a huge, so like in sociology programs, you might have different subspecialties. So you might focus on race or you might focus on organizations or you might, you know, focus on culture. And education isn't a huge subspecialty within the sociology discipline in general. And in my particular department, there, uh, again, was only one faculty member that studied education. So, you know, I was kind of like a lone wolf, but I, I really enjoyed the program and I felt supported. And then at the, it was in like January of my second year, you know, I was preparing my master's thesis and uh, I get called into my advisor's office, you know, where he shares with me that um, he would be leaving the university. He and his wife got uh, a different position at another university. And I was, of course, in shock because, again, he was the only faculty member who could support my research. And he actually encouraged me to go to the to the potentially go to the university with him and you know that would have been a huge move because I would have been moving to like a completely different part of the United States and I was not necessarily ready for that move because I was in a long distance relationship uh, my boyfriend at the time who's now my husband was preparing to he was applying for residency so he he didn't know where he was going to go, but I knew it was not going to be on the West Coast where I would have had to move if I was going to go with this faculty member. And so, you know, I decided not to go with him. I would have, you know, potentially started that fall. But what I decided to do was just take my time and decide, like, was my current program the right program for me or did I want to start from scratch and just 
do the application process all over again to actually have the process that I never had. And I only applied for one PhD program. There was not a lot of decision making or thought on like which program is the right program for me. I actually spent that fall in California at the university that my advisor or former advisor went to. And I did like a visiting fellowship program there, you know, just to also test out that university that I want to be there. And honestly, it was like, it was like Northern California. So it wasn't the funnest place, (laughs) Uh, but I did. I enjoyed the people. I enjoyed the people, but I ended up applying to like 10 or 11 or like maybe 12 different programs, some in sociology, some in education. I knew I didn't want to go to another sociology program if there weren't like, if there wasn't like a core group of faculty members who focused on education, because I didn't want to put myself in a position to where I again would be left without an advisor who could, you know, speak directly to my interests. And I ended up like getting into like Probably, I think if I applied to 12, I probably got into like eight of the 12 programs, which I was like, oh, yes, oh, yes. But to be honest, part of that was, you know, I had an analytic project, which was, I felt like it was very strong. I had already had very good or decent GRE scores. And that was actually my last year to apply anywhere because those GRE scores were about to expire. What I found out is that leaving that old program, despite the fact that I had finished coursework at the old program, you know, I had done all of these things, no matter where I went, whether I was going to a sociology program or going to a a completely different field or discipline, nobody was going to like take my credits. I was essentially going to be starting over no matter where I went. And that was something that I really had to think about because had I stayed in my last program, again, I probably would have graduated potentially two years ago, because this is my seventh total year. And a lot of my friends finished within five to six years. So at the very minimum, I probably would have graduated last May. Wow! And so I really had to wrestle with, am I okay with starting over? I knew whatever program I went to had to be worth the whole redo. Because, you know, this is a this is a lot of time to devote to any pursuit, especially when you're not making money not real money anyway. And I eventually settled on uh, the PhD program at Harvard. That was a new program. I was in the first cohort. So it's been an interesting experience because when you are a pioneer, it comes with its struggles. But am I happy with my decision? I feel like I will probably be more happy with my decision when I go on the job market and I'm graduating. Right now, I'm in the thick of writing my, you know, dissertation proposal. You know, I'm stressed out about that. Um, So right now it feels like, dang, I wish this was over. Like, I just want a job. I just want to be done with this. So right now, I'm not feeling like, I'm feeling like, "Mm, man, I could have been done, but I'm pretty sure I probably won't feel like that next fall when I'm on the job market. So yeah, you know, it's funny. I feel like you, you will feel like that when you're on the job market. You won't feel like that when you secure a job. Is the job market stressful? You're so stressed. You're like, all of this like needs to culminate in something. Right. And so until you secure a job, like you don't really have that something. That's that's very true. Like I said, I think it's just been a struggle with feeling like I haven't seen any of the fruits of my labor, 
but I've been working so hard for so long. And so that's just kind of where I am right now. I'm ready to see some fruits, girl. I'm ready to eat. (laughs) Me too. I definitely, definitely am ready to see some fruits, but you have fruits in your future. Trust. Fingers crossed. Oh, so that was cathartic. That was a fun experience. Yes. You know, it's interesting because I've seen online where people weren't necessarily happy in their program or maybe, you know, their advisor left or whatever experience that they're going through that makes them like question their current program and and whether they should move. And if people have questions about that, like what that process is like, or want me to go more in depth on like what it really means to move to a different program and start all the way over, we can cover that in the Ask Ebony Anything episode, but it's a tough decision. So if you're like battling with that right now, yeah, please reach out. Yeah. I think that's a great way to, to, Think about maybe future episodes as well that we can talk a little bit more about what other people can do in that circumstance. And I surely would be willing Mm -hmm. to talk to people more about sort of unideal relationships with advisors Mm -hmm. because, man, do I know about that? (laughs) We don't even want to talk about me and advisors. I'm still going through my program, so I don't know if I can share. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm not going to go there. Advising relationships are interpersonal relationships. And just like any interpersonal relationship, it comes like struggles. Yeah, with with working it out. There's a lot of normings and storming to hopefully, you know, you guys can perform well together. You know, one caveat I do want to add is I think me being able to move on and have like a successful application season with leaving a different PhD program was because my decision was mostly motivated by the fact that my advisor had left and that I did not have anyone to support my research moving forward. And I had his full support and I had support of other faculty members from my PhD program. So it didn't look like I was just like messy, like this messy person that just didn't like what was going on in my program. Like I I think that contributed to my success on the application, um, market that particular season. But we, you know, you can talk about how to frame yourself, but I do think it makes a difference on why you leave a program in regard to whether you will be successful on the application market, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I think that's a bit of the, um, a bit of a discussion we could have about politics in academia. And mm-hmm. that's for, like you said, oh, leaving yeah. a program as well as even changing advisors within a program, right? It all is built into mm-hmm. the politics of not burning bridges and, you know, going somewhere else. And then people being like, well, did you not get along with the people there? What's going on? And so that, yeah, is a, a bigger conversation we could have about academia. Yeah. So with that being said, those were our tales. I'm pretty sure we'll have more to share, especially, you know, as we're waiting for people to like reach out to us so that you can share your tale. If you do have something that you want to share with us, it can be a long story, short story, you know, something that could help someone else. Feel free to email us at info at theebonytower.com or daphne at theebonytower.com or 
Rachel at theebonytower.com. So if you want to share a story, you can reach out to us, let us know the topic, and we can set up a time to speak with you more about your experiences. Yes. And we're so happy that you took the time to listen to our experiences. Check out the website, check out the Facebook, check out the Instagram content that I often spend hours thinking about what I should post. And thank you for joining us. Yes. See you next time. If you're interested in being featured on the Ebony Tower, have topic ideas, or simply want to ask Ebony anything, visit our website, www.theebonytower.com, or email us at info at theebonytower.com. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Ebony Tower. And please don't forget to rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform.